You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode number 110. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jelan Levin and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Всем привет! Hey, son, hey, son! Something is not right here. No, no. We are doing an even-numbered episode, and... Yeah, it should have been an, should be an interview, but uh, that happened. We did have an, a great interview uh, lined up, but the interviewee lost his voice, so we had to cancel. Uh-uh. So, uh, yeah. yeah, but uh, we we don't give up, so uh, we, will, we will get him on another occasion, and instead we'll do a regular show here, and we may be a day late with releasing that, because we got a bit delayed, but... Uh, no matter, I'm sure it was worth waiting for. Or not. <laughs> <laughs> I won't give up on us, mm-hmm. even if the skies get rough. I love that song. Okay. So noted. <laughs> um, so it's that means that we do episode. have... Uh, no, 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 I hope not. Because tomorrow morning I'm off to Venice, and uh, that's lovely. Yeah, just bragging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not really <laughs> looking forward to it this time. Mm-hmm. Oh. You know, it's not the first time, so it's, I, I, it doesn't have that appeal anymore. Ah, oh. I, I bet the weather won't be very, very good either. No, I, I'm, I'm sure you'll have a terrible time. <laughs> no, I, no, I never do. I never do. I, I always end up enjoying it. It's just, uh, it always comes with a certain bad feeling because of its, it being work. But never mind. Mm, yeah. Sure. Um, after that, I'll be back and just hoping to be able to cope uh, financially um, until the, the end of the, the campaigning season. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see how that works out. Mm, yeah. So getting back to this episode, mm-hmm. there's a lot to talk about. There is a lot to talk about. We can start already now. I, uh, we talked about Edsard Ernst and how he has two new books uh, oh, yeah. going on. And one of them is actually now published. It's called More Harm Than Good. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I just like to I got some feedback. Sometimes we mention people that we know so well, we forget to tell new listeners who, who they are. So Edsard Ernst, for those who don't know, he is a German former homeopath who realized uh, after studying his field that it was, uh, well, baloney, rubbish. He is now living in the UK where he constantly talks and blogs and informs people about what homeopathy actually is. So more harm than good is about about alternative medicine and how it does more harm than good. I haven't read it yet, but it's um, probably a very interesting read. His books often are, or always are, I should say. And yeah. it probably will be good uh, in, in the conversation with your homeopathy-loving friends when they say, what's the harm? Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah. And and um, there is one other thing that must be told about Edzard Ernst, because he is he was the first ever professor of complementary and alternative medicine at the University of Exeter, where he had to go into an early retirement 
because of his clash with a very powerful man in the UK. Mm-hmm. Next king. <laughs> the next king, the future Prince king of the Charles. UK. If he survives to be the king, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so this book has actually already sparked a little bit of that old controversy. This was 13 years ago that, that Edward Ernst retired, but... Uh, so I'm sure Prince Charles will not read this book. And uh, Prince Charles is a proponent of homeopathy. We have talked about that several times on the show. Anyway, oh, yeah. so good new book. Uh, we're looking forward to reading it. Yeah, and that, there's another book. It's a very old book. And uh, the the um, proponent of, of that book is also very old. It's uh, He's an arch enemy of yours, Pontus. Oh, I, think. I yeah. know who that is. <laughs> Does he have a funny hat? He does have a funny hat, but the the funniest hat <laughs> he, so. he he doesn't wear. So that is something ah. that he he doesn't want. That's the 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 triple crown, the the tiara. Yeah, it's the Pope. I'm it's the Pope. It's the freaking it's the Pope. Pope. Yeah. And you know what he did uh, recently? He nope. condemned fake news and uh, what he called snake tactics of uh, the authors of fake news. <laughs> yeah, he. Compared them to the biblical uh, the, the biblical serpent. Oh. The irony was probably <laughs> the... lost on him, seeing as Bible is a fake news, you know. <laughs> to, uh, um, I, I read this on Snopes, actually. And he appeared to approve of political efforts to counter the dissemination of misinformation, saying, Praiseworthy, too, are those institutional legal initiatives aimed at developing regulations for curbing the phenomenon, which is really cool, but spreading misinformation... Well, that's that's the turf of the of 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 the Catholic Church, isn't it? Th- that, well, that's why that's why I said the irony is lost on him. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and he also added yeah. that journalism should be created by people for people and should turn away from falsehoods, rhetorical slogans, and sensational headlines. <laughs> so it's even even better than that. Somebody has to tell him. Somebody has to tell him. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, I mean, it, it's not the worst thing he could say. I'm, I'm sure, I mean, the, the sentiment is right. And uh, if somebody mm. else had said it, we would have been happy. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. If, yeah. if someone wants to go on and uh, tell the Pope, uh, then please use the hashtag, I'm telling the Pope. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's see if that. Does that ensure that the, the, and if he's losing this, using this hashtag, does that mean that the, the Pope will see it? Uh, the Pope will see it or someone from the Pope's office will see it if you tag at Pontifex. Okay. Whatever. Okay, let's move on. That means that we'll start with This Week in Skepticism, presented by Yelena. I want to just circle back to something that I've mentioned about Nostradamus a couple of weeks ago. Uh, one of the listeners uh, got in touch with us and sort of shared a fact about Nostradamus that um, we didn't know about. What the listener was talking about was that Nostradamus was actually nothing other than uh, a thief. He stole somebody else's book and, and presented it as, as his own. And I've done research online. I couldn't find definitive... Sources. I'm surprised it hasn't been quoted in Wikipedia, but Wikipedia is not perfect. But I found an, a featured article uh, by the guy called Philip Coppens, who talks about uh, an abbot of a 14th century abbot who wrote that book. And Nostradamus came across it and just stole the whole thing. 
and his name was Yves de Lessinel, prior of Cisteri, Cistercian Abbey. Mm-hmm. This was literally the only place I found the mentioning of the theft. I don't really still know for sure. It might be the case. I think, you know, I, yeah, there's a lot of legends, of course, around Nostradamus. Yeah. If any listener knows for definitively what, what this is all about, we would be happy to, to have more information. Um, and, and it totally could be true, because I, I imagine plagiarism isn't something that we've invented in 20th century by pop stars stealing good songs and making them th- their own, you know. I'm sure it, it, it happened way before. Surely. So that's the first thing I wanted to talk about. And of course, now I want to talk about something that happened on the week of the episode release, which is, well, in this case, it'll be February 8th and 9th, 1855. And what happened on that day, um, uh, the devil's footprints appeared in South Devon in England in the middle of the winter on the snow. Yeah, so the snow fell all through the... Uh, through the day in February in South Devon and in the morning uh, when the villagers, the first villagers rose um, to see the day, um, they saw this set of strange footprints stretching across 100 miles through the county and the footprints were sort of moon-shaped. Well, they looked a little bit like hooves and therefore a lot of uh, people jump to a conclusion that um, they potentially could be devils because devil has hooves. Yeah, and he walks around South Devon. Well, when when hell freezes over, I guess it snows also for the devil, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it cannot be Krampus because it's over. Over Christmas is over. Yeah. Definitely it happened yeah. in January. Yeah, so. yeah. No, no. Don't be ridiculous. Must have it been be the Krampus. devil. Must have been the devil. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so when people talk about these prints, they 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 kind of imagine this horseshoe-sized uh, uh, hoof prints. However, the actual prints were quite small, and they were only um, uh, one and a half uh, to two inches in size. And a pony, eight, maybe eight inches apart. So, well, well, the thing is, it's either a pony or a very tiny devil. Maybe he was like <laughs> a very the, tiny baby devil. devil. Baby, baby devil, devil. I don't know. Yeah. Baby devil but, must be cute. <laughs> yeah. There were various theories what this prince could actually have been. Uh, one of them was uh, hopping mice, um, a kangaroo. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're very often I jumping mean, around I in could, the snow. I could imagine in the, if in it the was UK, a kangaroo. Yeah, in the UK, why yeah, not? Yeah, like, uh, of course, we've got <laughs> lots of kangaroos. I see one on the way to work every day. No, but maybe one, esca- I don't know. If there was a zoo somewhere, I, I have no idea. Um, another one was badgers. Another one that was mass hysteria. I think I'm leaning towards that one. <laughs> Apparently, as, and as that last one was a balloon, like an experimental balloon released by mistake from Devonport Dockyard. And it left those mysterious tracks by trailing two shackles on the end of its mooring ropes. But the, they, anyway, the, they were quite even. So it would have been interesting how Balloon made such even trail. But in any case, this mystery has never been solved. Dun, dun, dun. And I don't think it ever will. <laughs> Probably not. And it's, 
there was a motion picture uh, um, that was made called Dark Was the Night. And apparently uh, the devil's footprints was used as the inspiration for the events depicted in this, in this motion picture. Um, but, uh, you know, I always am skeptical about stuff like that. And knowing how wild the human imagination can run sometimes, it's not surprising that somebody thought that those prints or those trail were devil's hoof prints, especially back, back then. We'll never know what truly, who or what truly made those trails. I think for me, I am definitely 100% sure it, it, was, it wasn't devil. I think I'd probably believe it was a kangaroo before I believe it was <laughs> anything um, out of ordinary. But um, there we go. So that was back in 18... 1855. But it's, ama- it's amazing that we're still talking about this, you know, 160, 170 years later, uh, we're still talking about it. I mean, yeah, it's not so, really a fantastic thing, but it's interesting how, how myths just keep coming back well, and talked about, etc. I think the reason why is because um, some of the things that are harder to document are then harder to disprove because if you only yeah. have drawings and you can't go back and investigate, you know, this myth always will just remain a myth, something that was never resolved and never be able to, nobody will be able to resolve it. So I would just like to quickly give a, sh- give a shout to our friends uh, in Skeptoid podcast because they covered it um, on their episode back in the day. It was uh, March 7, 2007. Wow. And it was Skeptoid Podcast number 31, you guys. Ooh, it's an early one for Brian Dunning. It was yeah. a really early mm-hmm. one. Yeah. So they they really gone into a lot of detail. Well, the whole op- episode was literally just about the... No, we, we do admire, we do admire uh, Brian Dunning's work. And he was on the show recently. All right. Thank you very much, Yelena. Let's move on to our news items, shall we? All right, we will start in Sweden uh, with a follow-up to the Macchiarini scandal. For those who don't know, Paolo Macchiarini uh, was uh, or is a fraudulent researcher, I dare to say, who was allowed to perform experimental surgery on several patients in Sweden and also abroad. He had artificial tracheas operated into people uh, who need, had problems with their um, throat and... Uh, his idea was to have these plastic tracheas covered in stem cells uh, with the hope that this would make them acceptable to the patient's body and there would be no uh, rejection. Uh, unfortunately, due to fraudulent research studies, he was allowed to do this surgery uh, on a total of eight patients before he really had any reason to think that it would really work. Six of those patients are now dead, at least six. So I haven't heard the latest because they don't. the ones who survived didn't feel very well, to say the least. The latest news in this scandal is that another one of his studies, which was published in uh, 2015 related to this research, has now been retracted by Karolinska Institutet, which is where he did his research in Stockholm. Uh, they say that the re- research quote, lacked any biological hypothesis and, quote, there was also no approval in place from the Regional Ethical Review Board for the clinical treatment. So they're still looking into, this was in 2015, as I said, and 
they're still looking into uh, to his research and finally retracting these papers. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see. We will time. follow up again because he has some some legal implications uh, pending, most likely. Mm. All right, from Sweden, let's move on to Germany, where um, well. Uh, it's it's been quite interesting for me to to do some research into this that I came across on uh, GVP's website, uh, um, on the blog actually, because it's all in German and I couldn't find anything in English. So uh, thanks very much for Google Translate, uh, but uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure that I interpret everything correctly. But there was um, an event to be happening, well later in February, in uh, Ebersberg. Uh, in Bavaria, and uh, the the local district office was to uh, hold um, kind of a conference where there would have been a webinar provided by a guy named Hans Tolzin. And why this guy is very interesting is because he appears to be a very strong proponent of all kinds of quackery. Uh, First of all, he is one of the the main propagators of uh, new Germanic medicine. He denies AIDS to be caused by a virus. And uh, he thinks that homosexuality can be cured. Hmm. So... I've oh, heard that before. Oh, yeah. Mm. And uh, now he is opposing vaccinations. Just for good measure, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. And uh, we've we've known for a, for a while that uh, in Germany the, the government is fighting the advance of uh, certain diseases, vaccine-preventable diseases. So it is very timely to talk about this. And when it was published, the event was was published online, uh, there was a bit of an outcry. And there is an uh, organization called the Bavarian Adult Education Association. And the chairman of that, um, well, expressed their concerns and they said that uh, it's absolutely unbelievable that uh, something that can be found out so easily with a 10-minute, ten, ten not even a 10-minute Google search, uh, cannot be prevented, like uh, like someone who is propagating these very, very bad ideas and uh, all these, uh, these quackery. So uh, they say esoteric teachings and speculative methods that are beyond the transparent scientific reasoning and discursive argument is incompatible with our public education mandate. Hmm. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. So what happened was the guy's webinar was drawn from the agenda of that event. So this is this is a bit of a win for the the side of reason. Hmm. Very good. In very Germany. Good. Well yeah. done. You mentioned this was from the GVUP uh, website. We just mentioned that it's that's mm-hmm. the German skeptics. GWUP.net. Yeah. Yeah. All homeopathic drugs now illegal. Yes. Yay! Question mark. No. Oh. We wish though, don't we? Yeah. But they're not. No. It's um good old snopes. Apparently this um Alternative medicine doctor called Joseph Mercola from Mercola.com. Uh, he's recently published a story claiming that the FDA banned, made all homeopathic drugs illegal by stating that they all should have clinical trials um, that proven that for the drugs to work 
to be able to sell them on the market just like normal drugs would, you know, like you would do for other drugs. Outrageous. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? But this turned out to be incorrect because the document that the FDA released at the end of December 2017 doesn't have anything that exempts drugs labeled as homeopathic. So the, the FDA, in fact, already has the right and the power to make all homeopathic drugs illegal, but they don't because it's too much work. Um, so they, when, um, the new homeopathic uh, remedy will come out in the market, they will assess one of the five high risk categories. So it's going to be products with reported safety concerns, products for rules of administration other than oral or Topi uh, and topical products intended to be used for prevention of or treatment of serious and or life-threatening diseases, uh, products for vulnerable populations. Um, so as you can see, homeopathic remedies would hardly ever fall into these categories because I don't think any of the homeopathic remedies would state openly, you know, cure for cancer. <laughs> Uh, if the uh, remedy falls in under one of these categories, then FDA will go after them. But the um, interpretation of the existing law would not have any effect on the vast majority of home homeopathic products currently available in the United States. As far as homeopathy concerns, I mean, they've got nothing to worry about, unfortunately. You know, the, I, I always like how uh, these um, proponents of homeopathy cry wolf and say, look, you know, we're being attacked. We're not going to be able to do anything illegal anymore. It's like, whatever. But not true. And if you want to buy homeopathic drugs, just go ahead and do it. Yeah, I think it's it's a question of, of, of you know, revoking a privilege. It's a privilege to be able to sell homeopathic remedies without having proved that it works. So when you say, now you have to prove that it works, just like any other thing. So, so, oh, we're being repressed. No, we're just applying the same standards to your things that we do to yeah. the other things. Well, but I think, don't all homeopathic um, remedies have like a really weird word wording on their uh, bottles? No. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. but usually they are uh, very vague. And, That's uh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. They have to be because the law wouldn't very otherwise allow them. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, they would have to be for two two reasons. One of them is the law. The other reason is that uh, since you don't have a specific... So instead of uh, being it's an antidepressant, uh, they say that you can use it when you're depressed. Okay, it's, it, it doesn't like, actually make any claims about nope. the... Um... Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But there are those who, who make specific claims and they tell you that, for example, they can cure your cancer or something else. It seems like in Ireland, um, there are parliamentarians who do actually want to do something about that, which is oh, quite cool. And there is one person um, among them uh, whose name is Kate O'Connell, TD. Do you know what TD stands for in well, Ireland? It's sort of member of parliament, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's it goes like something like a Tertadala or something. So oh. <laughs> okay. all right <It's>, then. <laughs> yeah, but that's yeah, it's pretty what cool. It means. You're, yeah, you're it, a member it is of a, the parliament. It's yeah. an MP. Yeah, a TD mm. is an MP. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where I came across this is uh, the website of Cork Skeptics. The Cork Skeptics uh, called for action 
um, and some some help from uh, their followers because uh, there was a show called Clareburn Live on RTE1. There it was planned that by the Society of Homeopaths that uh, they would be appealing uh, to their members by by attending the show and treating stuff and, and, and going on and on about how good homeopathy is and how legitimate a treatment it is and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I don't know how it went down, but what is interesting about this is uh, that it's the, the, the all this fuss is about a proposed bill that is called the FACT Act. It intends to regulate alternative medicine, uh, medicine practitioners by uh, deterring, fining, or imprisoning them uh, if they uh, they say they can cure cancer or any kind of disease without any scientific or medical backing to prove it. Mm. And that is pretty good. And that is a pretty strong kind of uh, legislation uh, attempt. So it's no wonder that uh, O'Connell said that she, since she proposed the bill uh, sometime around Christmas, she has gotten a lot of uh, very negative reaction. That means... Uh, verbal abuse and and abuse online all the different kinds of abuse so this is just terrible that yeah and this act this bill should uh, is intended to to do a follow-up on the cancer act of 1939 um in in the uk but but hang on the the uk legislation doesn't isn't valid in ireland right no 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 but it's it's it follows that it follows that path. Yeah, yeah. Same, so, the so the big scandal here, I think, is that that Ireland is probably one of the few countries in in Europe that don't have a le- legislation against claims of curing cancer. For yeah, instance. yeah. And when someone who, uh, which is which is a a, a very cool move, uh, actually proposes one, then she gets all the different kinds of abuse online, which mm-hmm. is. Ah, uh, well, yeah. uh, if if any of the Cork skeptics uh, is listening to the show, we would really love you to uh, get in touch and tell us more about this, because I tried to find more information online, but since that call for action uh, on January the 7th, I couldn't find anything. So I would really appreciate some more information if you do have some. Good. Right, let's go over back to Ukraine, back because we talked about this last uh, week and last week's episode, I talked mm-hmm. about the measles epidemic in, in Ukraine. And then I mentioned that uh, 1,285 cases were reported so far in 2018. So uh, and now we have new information. It tells us that by the end of January, uh, it's more than doubled. So it's almost 3,000 cases. Oh my God. Two-thirds of them being children. Situation is really bad. And uh, Andras, your Hungarian government, has promised to provide the region called Zakarpatia, or something to the same, similar. In, in Zakarpatia is a very Russian Zakarpatia. area. Yeah, it's in the Ukraine. Mm-hmm. and But it's on the border towards oh, yeah. Hungary. So... Yeah. Uh, Hungary has promised to to donate 8000 doses of MMR vaccines to the Zakarpatia uh, region to to help out of the situation. Uh, by the way, fun fact, it's not the Ukraine, it's Ukraine. 
in English, many people say the Ukraine for some reason. That's wrong. It's mm. supposed to be Ukraine only. Okay. Okay. I think I think I have made that mistake on several occasions. But anyway, not to distract from the the big news. The big news is that we have a rampant measles epidemic in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. We need to follow that up in the future. Mm. Talking about follow up, e- even though Ukraine is not in the EU. We have um, a very strong connection, mostly based on the geographical um, issues and ethnical issues. Uh, for example, you mentioned that part of uh, Ukraine that is called Lower Carpathia, and uh, that is where lots of Hungarians live. So why the uh, government, why the Hungarian government provides a lot of uh, uh, shots is, uh, I mean, <laughs> vaccination shots, um, is doses, is because of that. Aha. Uh-huh. Good. Uh, that makes a lot of sense, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what is very good uh, when it comes to the uh, the issue of vaccination in the EU is that there is now, since the 21st of December 2017, there is an open public consultation on tr- strengthened cooperation against vaccine-preventable diseases by the European Commission. Mm-hmm. So... The target group is basically everyone <laughs> in the EU. So the objective is to uh, gain more information and insight into uh, how uh, the EU uh, should tackle the issue of vaccination and uh, tackling vaccine-preventable diseases and the spread of them. Because of the, the, the cross-border nature of that kind of stuff, that kind of, that kind of challenge... And uh, the, the European Commission will um, um, make up a proposal for uh, the the Council recommendation on strengthened cooperation against vaccine-preventable diseases based on that kind of consultation. So, if you are, if any of our listeners is interested in submitting a response, submitting something, any any kind of uh, uh, you know, their insight. Uh, there is an online questionnaire. We will link to this website of the European Commission uh, among the show notes. And you can fill in the questionnaire and it will be submitted to the European Commission and they will be able to to hear your voice, which is very important. So please, if you have a couple of minutes, please let the those those commissioners know what you think about this issue, which is a very important one. Here, here. Let's all commit to do that. I think that's a very important thing to do. And this is, this is, oh, these are the moments when you actually feel proud of being a European and, and being part of the European Union, because this is important stuff. So the TEDx is coming to Portugal. Um, uh, there'll be TEDx uh, in a Portugal, po- Portugal city called Porto in April 13th and 14th. So for those who know about TED Talks, it'll be like a mini TED conference um, and they're normally really informative. And for, for those who don't know what TED is, it, it, it's a great event uh, full of great speakers uh, on a variety of topics. And they normally just uh, pick a theme for the conference and then they go with that theme and, and the speakers, speakers all talk on that theme or around that theme. So the theme of conference is it's natural, question mark. They talk about the fact that, you know, over thousands of years, we um, as human um, 
since humanity evolved and we've uh, advanced the technology, we have advanced medicine, we've advanced all these wonderful things. We're using um, the fruit of all this advancement, but is it good for us? You know, is it making our lives better or more, or more miserable? Um, a lot of people go back to natural, whatever that means, um, to eating raw foods, to living in the woods, to whatever. <laughs> And so that's an interesting topic and a very, I'd say, a hot topic at the moment. And so the the speakers will be balanced across the field. <clears throat> so there'll be those uh, who will defend the, the natural stance. And there'll be some uh, scientists there and researchers and skeptics. So David Martel will be there, who is a member of Concept and author of several books on science and skepticism. Uh, the other attendant will be Hao Julio Serquera, who is a doctor and creator of the project SciMed, dedicated to combating myths and pseudoscience in medicine. So the tickets already are on sale for this conference. Um, and for those of our listeners who would like to attend this conference in Portugal and sort of combine the travels and the education, that'll be a great chance to do that. I always enjoy that access enormously and this is such a great subject as well very controversial i'd expect um, a mixed crowd there actually there'll probably be proponents of uh, alternative ways of living and uh, uh, people who are supporting the advancement of whatever science and um, medicine and technology and maybe later on in may time we can catch up with our Portu portuguese skeptics and see how it went mm -hmm. from there yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Science communication again, uh, this time uh, on an international level. And uh, you cannot really get more international than the IPCC. So it's the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. And um, obviously, they have been commissioning um, research reports on thousands of pages of actual scientific data information piled up by lots of experts and it's been going on for years and years but now they have commissioned something else which is a communication handbook for the IPCC scientists because uh, they have realized that the most important part of getting the message through is how they communicate it and even though this is an intergovernmental kind of body. They get the research. So until recently, they mostly focused on getting the science right. And that is very good. That is very important. And that is crucial. But you have to be able to communicate all that as well to the general public, right? So they put together a very, a very nice, nicely done, very informative, couple minutes long, video as well and what they basically came up with is six basic principles to build your communication on and why i want to list all those six principles is because it's very important for all of our skeptics as well because it's one thing to get the science right the other thing is how you communicate it so first of all you have to be a confident communicator you need to be able to be on top of what you're saying or at least sound like that. Talk about the the second is to talk about the real world, not abstract ideas. So if you start talking about numbers, if you start talking about uh, weather phenomenon, 
that is not happening in front of people's eyes, you will not get a positive response. You need to communicate all that that they experience in their everyday lives. The third point is connect with what matters to your audience. So that connects well to the second one. Like, you cannot make use of uh, the idea of uh, large winds on or very strong winds or above the ocean. But you can make sense of having rainfalls and very severe weather conditions on uh, at different parts of the world. The fourth is tell a human story. And we keep bumping into that problem in the skeptic community as well, right? So if we cannot connect to the human emotions, if we don't tell stories, I keep coming up with the, the example of the vaccination chronicles. It's not about the science of all of it. Mm-hmm. It's about the human side. And that is a very powerful story. That is what makes people think. And that, was, that, that is what touches people. Um, the fifth is lead with what you know and don't put the emphasis on what you don't know. <laughs> so what we are certain of, what we are we are absolutely positive about, that is what we should talk about. And uh, that, that is something that I can relate to quite easily, being a tour guide. Because if, if I, you start talking about something you have no idea what it is, you end up just talking gibberish and not making any sense and that is that is not that that is just not the road to follow and uh the sixth is probably one of the most important parts of this is use the most effective visual communication because we are all visual animals we want to see stuff we want to be able to to make a visual sense of everything so yes, this is this is the basis of it, but uh, the actual handbook is uh, well much longer than that. It's a twenty-eight page actual document, and it's pretty good. I, I it's yeah, a good. Uh, you can summarize it. Just want to mention you. You mentioned the vaccination chronicles. For those who don't know, that's the the documentary that. Uh, Richard Saunders did from the Australian Skeptics and from from the Skeptic Zone podcast. He did this uh, video a couple of years back now, which is yeah. very good, and it documents people who lived when when there still was polio and and other vaccine preventable diseases. Yeah, and it's very powerful. It's a I very good one. You sh- you can find it on YouTube. You should look it yeah. up. And if I'm not mistaken, it has been it has been subtitled to many languages. It's subtitled in in. I think over 10 different languages. Yeah. Okay, a little bit of uh, sad news now. Many of the skeptics know and have trusted on a site called doubtfulnews.com. Yeah. Yes, they had had some hiatus for a while. And then uh, I think about a year ago, they said, now we're going uh, back up again. But uh, I guess it's it is a huge project to run, and basically it's run by Sharon Hill. Uh, it's a one. I wouldn't say it's a one man show, but it's very much so, <laughs> or close <laughs> to that. And uh, now they, uh, she has declared that uh, they will move the. They have over seven thousand posts on the website at the moment, and this content is now being archived on the Wayback Machine. And uh, there are links on how to, you can still retrieve it. But uh, the basic idea is that the activities on this website 
will more or less cease and uh, it will go over to Sharon will still have her personal blog uh, or she also writes on something called the spooky geology the 15th credibility street podcast will also continue and with show notes uh, so so there will be still some activity but the big website is uh, scaling down quite considerably but uh, she's been doing this for many years i think six or seven years and uh, what the, what we can look forward to though is that the best content will be gathered and uh, the plans are to put that into a book. So I hope uh, that that will come to fruition. Which is That's a really massive, exciting. massive proje- yeah. project in itself. It's a massive project. <laughs> and thank you for all the hard work before this. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> Definitely. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, that have been a lot of pieces of news items this week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> If you uh, think we've missed something, or if you think uh, there is something that uh, we we didn't find and uh, you want us to know about it and want us to talk about it in the show, please get in touch and let us know. Send us links, send us information. We would appreciate that very, very much. You can get in touch with us by emailing us, and it's our email address is info at theesp.eu. Uh, also, uh, you can go on our website, uh, www.theesp.eu and uh, complete contact form on there. Um, or you can follow us on Facebook. If you're on Twitter, our Twitter handle is at espodcast underscore eu. And also don't forget, if you're getting our podcast on iTunes, uh, to leave us a review on there. Thank you very much. Yep. Mm-hmm. And and as always, we have the events in Europe page on our on our uh, website where you can see all the skeptics in the pub and other things going on. And there is also a link to Patreon where you could go, or you could type in Patreon.com/slash/theesp, and you could, if you want to, send us a, a, a euro or two for each episode we produce. Yep. Coolio. Nice. Let's move on to something that we haven't done for a while. And this is a segment that we call analysis. Uh, Some of us have come across something that is worth discussing here. So let's get right to it. This is something that um, um, I've came across and learned when I was listening to the latest episode of a podcast, You Are Not So Smart. Um, they've released a part four episode for the backfire effect. I'm not sure how many people would be aware of the backfire effect, uh, but when I first learned about it, I felt like the bulb gone off on in my head and it just lit the whole world and so many things made sense all of a sudden because we had this backfire effect and it explained Trump. It explained why we can't convince people with evidence. It explained the anti-vaccination movement. It explained so many things. And basically what it said was, if you approach uh, a person, let's take uh, somebody who's got an anti-vaccination stance with facts about the vaccines and tell them about those facts and say that vaccines don't cause autism, vaccines are really good for you kids, they'll prevent diseases. 
not only the uh, person with anti-vaccination stance not going to listen to you, um, he or she will double down and believe in the anti-vaccination stance even more. And therefore the backfire, you know, you kind of try to convince them that it's good, but it backfires, it makes matters worse. Along my excitement that, oh yes, it explains so many things, I got really sad because then it kind of meant that it doesn't matter what we try to do and the information we try to provide and uh, be skeptical and try to educate people, it, it won't it won't change their mind. They're still going to believe what they believe. And even worse, they're going to be they're going to be doubling down. So I felt like we're actually doing harm by doing this podcast even. <laughs> well, actually, no, not many anti-vax people will listen to our podcast, so it's okay. And then this episode has been released a few days ago. Apparently, there were studies done recently um, that were trying to test the backfire effect uh, to replicate it. And guess what? They couldn't do it. They couldn't replicate the backfire effect. It almost as if it didn't exist. And what was so exciting about this episode, it was like science in action. So the guys who tried to replicate the backfire effect study couldn't do it. And then they got in touch with the guys who did the original backfire effect study. And then they both worked together in a happy team to try to figure out what the hell's gone on. And they got to the bottom of it and there were some confusion um, around what backfire actually means. But the good news is, if you tell a person who used to believe one fact, that this fact is wrong, that person will change their mind about that fact. They will change their belief. However, the bad news, it doesn't mean they're going to change their attitude. So I think they've used... Again, I think anti-vaccination is one of the most um, widely used examples, but they also used the Trump supporters example. And they would say, if you approach a Trump supporter and you say to them, look, Trump today Trump lied about this fact. It actually never happened. The actual fact is this. They'll go, okay, that's fine. You know, I believe you. I accept the fact that Trump lied, but I still support him. Yeah. And but and but he also said this, and so they come up with a new fact that you can then go away and disprove or prove that it's wrong. But it doesn't matter in a way because you're gonna keep playing this game of debunking the facts and coming up with the real facts, whereas people are still the the, the, the essence of supporting Trump is still there. It was interesting as, because at the end of the episode, he actually said instead of trying to combat wrong facts, we need to start with cultural beliefs and all these bigger picture, you know, the, I don't know, almost like tribalism and, and what, what we grew up with. And that was quite daunting because you go, how do you change that? How do you change this attitude? Yeah, and I don't think they don't have a solution for that. But the truth is that you can feed people as much facts as you want to. And it's not that people reject the facts. They don't. They accept the facts, but they move on to other facts that still Correct. supports their opinion or their attitude. So, and that that feels more like what you what, or at least what I feel that I have experienced. That you can tell people lots and lots and lots of facts, and it's not mm. that they're denying the facts. It's just that okay, they say so what. Yeah. It was that. Mm. Ba -ba, yeah. Ba -ba -ba, and I still believe it. Yeah. It's it's interesting. It's it's an interesting psychological phenomena and 
unfortunately, like I said, they haven't come up with a solution. They haven't told us what to still what to do. No. So the good thing is we, we still we should still continue doing this job of debunking fake news, debunking false facts, because people will take it on board. And so the, the positive was, you know how we, we say, keep saying we're living in post-truth era, nobody cares about the facts anymore. People still do care about the facts. That was such a great takeaway. That's the take good away. news, yeah. That was such a great takeaway. The bad news, it doesn't change anything. <laughs> you know, the, 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 the thing is about this is that I, I've never experienced that much of that uh, backfire effect that people people kept talking about. So this is not a, a, a massive shock to me because of this. Right, right. No, but we have in the skeptical movement for over 10 years been fed that there is a backfire effect because the original research was in 2004, five somewhere. I think it was one of the most cited papers. Didn't Wasn't it like cited 300 so, times? So it's been a truth. For all yeah. those years that there yeah. is a backfire effect. And they say also that there might be a very, very small one, but not in the way that, that no. we have interpreted. And it's very interesting because I just remembered something. I didn't have a chance to, to explore it in the way that I wanted because of the time restraints. But I n met somebody who supported Trump. And I met that person uh, probably six months after he's taken an office. And you, you, you know, by that point, he's already done so many things that you just think... I wonder what the Trump supporter thinks at that point. And uh, this person was completely adamant that the support did not waver. It was still a good thing. It was almost as though nothing that Trump could have done or said, no amount of lies or whatever, would have made this decision of supporting him bad. Mm. So it's very odd. I think a lot of a lot of new research is needed into this because yeah. I think the researchers have been on the sort of the wrong track for a long time, and now this opens up a whole new field of of research in how do you change get people minds. to yeah. to change their opinions or their attitudes if that's what you want because it's interesting to know how that works, mm -hmm. and how do you get people to try to base their attitudes on facts rather than on just feelings and maybe that's impossible maybe human beings are just driven by emotions to such an extent that the facts really doesn't matter well i don't know i keep thinking about all these um i keep falling back onto the atheist community that i i got in touch in, in america and a lot of people who came out of the religious backgrounds and they finally you know became atheists it took them years and it took them a long time to change their mind, but they have done it. So because, it's possible. Of, I just, because of facts or what? I don't know. It, it was a very slow process. It was look a very at people slow like uh, Natalie Grams. Look at people like uh, Brit yeah, Hermes. Yeah, uh, yeah so absolutely. They this is were exactly convinced, the same. They were convinced by yeah. facts and they were convinced by things going on um, in, in the field that they were on. So, were they? Were they, though? Most people in those situations are not convinced by the facts. That's Maybe uh, Natalie Grams, uh, Edzard Ernst, uh, Britt May Hermes, maybe they were the exception. I, I'm not sure they were convinced by the facts. Maybe they had some other emotional thing going on that made it easy, easier for them. That's right. Probably the case, mm. yeah. But, mm -hmm. uh, but it was a gradual thing. I, I've read, and a scientist in Wonderland, and 
it tells you a very human story, a very touching story of how Edzard Ernst turned from a believer in the in uh, alternative medicine to a critic of it. Mm. Um, I can I can tell my own story about that uh, turning from a UFO believer to to a, a UFO skeptic by being provided not only and and you must be right about that Pontus that it's not only the facts that I was presented with but also I was welcomed in a community. It was a very welcoming community where they encouraged me to go on and on deeper into the field of science. And I didn't feel rejected for changing my mind. And that leads to uh, a whole lot of other things. If thinking that you are a bad person just because of you are wrong about something, that can happen. If if you're being brought up in an environment where uh, being wrong and yeah. making mistakes is punishable, yeah, it's and there is yeah. there is a whole lot of research into that as well, uh, mostly presented uh, very eloquently presented in the book. Uh, mistakes were made, but not by me. Yeah, uh, written by Carol Tevris and uh, Elliot Aronson, and that is something that I think every skeptic should read, and everyone for that matter. <laughs> yeah, I think this opens up the field for a whole new angle of research. But I think that that has been going on for a long, long time. So this is this is why I don't understand all the fuss about the backfire effect, because because I I've never I've never seen it as a one fits all kind of problem. I how I came across the fir- for the first time was when I I was translating the debunking handbook, and there was something that was called the familiarity backfire effect and it's a completely different thing it's not the backfire effect that we're talking about now Mm. it means that people can reinforce so if you debunk something and you don't phrase it properly and you don't build it up properly then you can reinforce and uh, the, the the that very belief by mentioning the original claim several times while trying to debunk it and by familiarizing the your audience even more with that problem, you can uh, even reinforce the original belief. So it's not that kind of uh, backfire effect. It's a different kind of backfire effect. And and I was only concentrating on that when when I was um, approaching this these issues. So this is why it's it's not a it's not a real shock to me. No, but I think it's been a, a hurdle to people's thinking and also researchers thinking mm. because as long as you think that the this back by effect that we're talking about has been real it's been very hard to interpret results that pointed in the other direction because you'd think no this can't be right because we know there's a backfire effect. Yeah, yeah. now that we know that you can question backfire effect i think it opens up the field for new and interesting uh, research Yep. yep, and good on uh, David McCraney, who's running the You Are Not So Smart podcast. This was episode 120, and we do recommend that you look it up. Absolutely, and also uh, look up the previous three uh, parts to the backfire effect, because it goes into the psychology, and that still stands. The psychology still works. It's like, you know, that's all there. Nice. 
But I'm interested in uh, what you have found, Pontus, in terms of someone having been really wrong lately. Yeah, let's do a, a, a really wrong segment here, which is rather familiar, but, uh, you know, typical Pontus uh, really wrong segment, I think. <laughs> Actually, Does it have to do with religion? It does have to do with religion. It does have to do with Catholicism. And I'm sorry if I repeat myself, but the only surprise here is that the first quote I read from this, I wholeheartedly agreed with from the person in question here. That was an Irish priest, Father Pat Collins from Dublin. He has gone public saying that the church is, quote, out of touch with reality. Now I I think he's right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we've and we've touched on that flash, on this episode flash news. <laughs> Got yeah. my hopes uh, up, but uh, turns out his opinion is we, they're out of touch of re- with reality because there's not enough exorcism in Ireland. <laughs> oh, you know, well, you know what That's can solve awesome. all our problems? Uh, lots of exorcism. Yeah. <laughs> Exercise is good. Exorcisms is, is not good. <laughs> oh, that might be just a mistake like that. Maybe it's a spelling mistake. Well, <laughs> back to Father Collins here. He says that uh, too often when people turn to the church because they believe that they're afflicted by an evil spirit, the church doesn't know what to do with them. No, I agree with that as well. And sometimes they even refer them to a psychologist. God help us. What if they got professional help? <laughs> uh, so uh, we've talked about exorcisms uh, before in, in, on the ESP. And those of us who attended the European Skeptics Congress in September remembers the shocking film we, we saw there. I, co- I couldn't do it. Yeah, No, it was terrible. A lot of people bad. turned away because it was horrible. Uh, it's a documentary. It was called The Battle with Satan. And it followed three young women being mentally and and even physically tortured for no good reason whatsoever. In one case, the woman's so-called problem was that she was having sexual fantasies about a female friend or a co-worker, I don't remember. And for this, she was har- harassed for, for years, I think. Mm. This was in Poland, and it was a terrible tragedy. And exorcisms are terrible. They are tragedies, and it's actually growing in, in Europe. Mm. The Catholic Church had uh, a conference in Rome in 2011 where they came to the conclusion that all dioceses should have an appointed exorcist. (laughs) And uh, I think Father Collins is not uh, thinking they're doing a good enough job. And he says that the demand for exorcism services has risen exponentially in recent years. The demand? uh, Yeah, the demand has risen. Doesn't mean that something we should supply. Well, yeah, I, precisely. He, 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 apparently. Uh, he apparently. Yeah, that's or, a demand, or, yeah. Or religious people who think they have a problem with Satan or a devil or a oh demon, God. when in fact they have other problems that can be fixed through modern medicine, modern psychology, or, or other things. So, to cut this uh, not too long, um, for continuing to propagate the idea that exorcism is something that belongs to the 21st century, Pat Collins, father or not, gets <laughs> today's prize for being really wrong. Indeed. And since he's a Catholic priest, then he's probably not a father. Or at least 
Not legally. No, yeah, not yeah. legally. No, that's always been a, a confusion for me, a source <laughs> yeah, of confusion yeah. for me. <laughs> you know, how can they be fathers if they're celibate? I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. 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 Thank you, Pontus. Wow. Sure. All right. I think uh, this uh, show has been going on long enough, so uh, we should probably put an end to it. Before we do that, I would like to ask you, Yelena, to hit us with a quote. I have a quote from a Swedish biochemist who won the Nobel Prize uh, in chemistry, and his name is Arne Tiselius, uh, who said, We live in a world where, unfortunately, the distinction between the true and false appears to become increasingly blurred by manipulation of facts, by exploitation of uncritical minds, and by the pollution of the language. Ooh. When, when was that said? Do you know? Do you know the date? Well, I don't know when when he said it, but I reckon it was like somewhere in 1950s. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. so, he, so he's already he, he's he died already. He's dead. Uh, since when? Uh, 29th of October 1971. Oh, so he had no idea what was coming, and still no, he said all that. He already predicted. He <laughs> yeah, already yeah, predicted. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, apparently, he was better than uh, than Nostradamus. Yeah, yeah, good one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice. Good one. Uh, yeah. These uh, uh, Swedish biochemists—they're yeah, awesome. They're good like that. <laughs> well, I think this is a a, a very good um, note to end our show on. So I'd like yeah. to thank both of you, Yelena and Pontus, for joining Thanks, me today. Thanks, you guys. Thank you, thank you. And I'd like to thank our listeners. Until next week, goodbye. Goodbye. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at theesp.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu, and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. So the, the, the event was organized by an educated adult education center, Böblingen Sindelfingen, which I have no idea what it means. <laughs> But uh, <laughs> but it sounds good, isn't it? Only me that when I when I was an adolescent, I I was watching German porn with with my uh, with my buddies. Yeah, there was only you. Was it only me? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay, Anders, you'll have to help me. How Julio Cerquera? Oh, I have no idea. I don't speak Portuguese. <laughs> <laughs> We have a Swede on the show. I can't let you butcher that. <laughs> yeah, we can exactly, butcher, exactly. We can butcher every other language, but the, the three or f- four languages we speak, we should try to keep up. I accept. <laughs>